Hey, American Hauntings fans, it's Troy. You can listen to all the episodes of our latest season on Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to your favorite shows. But you're probably thinking, hey, I've already listened to all the shows from the new season. Well, thanks for that. But have you listened to our other podcast? We have two full seasons of Dead Men Do Tell Tales on our Patreon page. And you could check that out as a member at patreon.com slash American Hauntings and get more of us in your life. And you know you want that. But now, on with the show. It was March 1928 in Los Angeles, and a telephone operator named Christine Collins was facing every parent's worst nightmare. Her 10-year-old son, Walter, had vanished. No matter what the police said at first, Christine knew he hadn't run away. She was sure he'd been kidnapped, especially since a neighbor claimed she'd seen Walter in an automobile crying and asking to be let go. The police relented and started a search, but after combing through abandoned homes, alleys, lakes, and ponds, the case went cold. Christine was devastated, but refused to give up hope. Then five months after Walter disappeared, Christine received the news that her son had been found alive in DeKalb, Illinois. The boy was put on a train and sent to Los Angeles and the reunion of mother and son was celebrated as a huge success for the LAPD, which had recently gone through a series of scandals involving bribery and mistreatment of suspects. Reporters from every newspaper in LA were on hand when the train pulled into the station, but there was one small problem. As soon as the boy stepped off the train, Christine realized he was not her son. LAPD Captain J.J. Jones dismissed her claim as nonsense. He insisted the boy had changed because of passing time and because of the traumatic conditions under which he'd been living. But Christine again objected. She knew her own son, she said, no matter the circumstances. But Jones insisted that the LAPD would not have made such a mistake. Trying to avoid humiliation, Jones forced Christine to take Walter home with her for a while to see if her memory would clear up, and then she'd realize he was her boy. Try him out for a couple of weeks, he demanded. Under pressure from the police, the press, and the public, Christine finally agreed to take the boy home with her. Walter refused to give straight answers to the questions that were asked of him. He said little to nothing, but insisted he really was Walter. Well, Christine knew he was not her son, but she agreed to care for him because he had no one else. She still worked to prove she was right because she didn't want the police to stop looking for her real son. She took him to her family dentist where she obtained the real Walter's dental records to show the difference between her son and the boy who was living in her house. The records didn't match, so she took them to Captain Jones, but Jones still didn't believe her or at least he claimed he didn't. He concluded that Christine was only trying to humiliate the LAPD, and he wouldn't stand for slander, especially from a woman. He knew an easy way to shut her up, one that had proven effective before, and he had Christine committed to the psychiatric ward of the General Hospital as a Code 12 internment. This was a method used by the police to lock up people they saw as being difficult. Christine was treated inhumanely in the hospital. She was drugged and abused so that she would come to her senses and admit the boy found in Illinois was her son. She spent 10 days locked in the middle ward. 
She was finally released when Walter confessed that his real name was Arthur Hutchins Jr. And his only excuse for what he'd done? He saw a picture of Walter in the newspaper, saw a resemblance, and decided to seize the opportunity. He knew that if he pretended to be Walter, he'd have a one-way ticket to L.A., where he might meet some of his favorite movie stars and have a chance to make it in the films. Even though Christine was relieved that the ruse was over, her son was still missing. She returned to work, and when she got home each night, she tried to keep up with the investigation into Walter's disappearance. Her sleepless nights, though, were filled with worry. If she was reading the newspapers at the time, she may have seen a story about two other young boys who had gone missing from Pomona, California. The boys, brothers Nelson and Louis Winslow, had also, like Walter, vanished without a trace. But the parents of Nelson and Lewis would eventually learn their son's fates. They'd been brutally murdered at a chicken ranch in Wineville, California by a pedophile and psychopath named Gordon Northcutt. Captured by the police, he confessed to scores of murders of young boys, including the Winslows and Walter Collins. Even though Northcutt said he killed her son, his remains were not found on the chicken farm with all the others. This gave Christine some hope that Walter might still be alive. She traveled to the penitentiary where Northcutt was awaiting a date with the hangman to ask him if he'd really killed her son. Northcutt swore to her that Walter had not been one of his victims. Was he telling the truth? Well, it's possible. Walter's body was never found, but it's more likely he was taking advantage of her and probably hoped to extend his life with new information about the case. But I suppose we'll never know for sure. He took the truth to the grave with him. As for Christine, she later remarried but had no more children. She clung to the words that Gordon Northcutt said to her from his prison cell and never gave up hope that her son might be returned to her alive. She died in 1964, still refusing to believe that he was dead. Sadly, Walter Collins never returned. But as we're about to find out, even though his story might have been sensational enough to be turned into a movie, Walter Collins was not the first missing boy to be replaced with what Irish folklore called a changeling. On a late summer day in 1912, a young boy disappeared while on a family trip. Eight months later, the authorities announced that the boy had been found. But instead of solving a mystery, the return of the child began a new puzzle that endured for decades. Welcome to American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. And welcome to our newest season, Gone, which is hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. America is a place filled with mystery and darkness. It's a place where tragic events occur and where mysteries for which no rational explanation exists. Those mysteries often include unexplained disappearances, just like the ones we're talking about this season. We open the files about people who have vanished without a trace, never to be seen again. Their stories are often bizarre, unexpected, and sometimes seem impossible. But one thing we know is that they did happen, and that these people simply walked out the door one day and never returned. These stories have no conclusion. The cases remain open and the mysteries unsolved. These people are gone, but we won't allow them to be forgotten. This is episode five of our latest season. 
One that will convince you to look at your children very closely when you tuck them into bed at night. You don't want to wake up in the morning and discover they've been replaced by someone or something else. On August 23, 1912, a four-year-old boy named Bobby Dunbar vanished while on a fishing trip to Swayze Lake in St. Landry Parish, Louisiana. When Mrs. Lessie Dunbar realized that her son was gone, she contacted the police, who began a massive search for the boy. Bobby's father, Percy, who had been away on business, rushed to the scene. He was followed by numerous volunteers who also joined the search. The woods were combed for any trace of the boy. The lake was dredged up and alligators were killed to see if Bobby's remains might be found in their stomach, but nothing was found and the authorities, of course, assumed the worst. Well, the trail went cold and the family returned to their home in Opelousas, Louisiana, to wait for news. Since the Dunbars were a prosperous and well-respected family, they held out hope that Bobby had been kidnapped for ransom. Newspapers began promoting the kidnapping theory. Pictures of Bobby, along with his grieving parents and his two-year-old brother, Alonzo, began appearing in papers in New Orleans and across the region. Thanks to the $6,000 reward that was offered for information, the police received numerous tips from people hoping to cash in. While members of the Dunbar family personally checked out every lead, the tips led nowhere. Eight months passed before the family's hopes for Bobby's return were finally realized, or at least that's how it seemed. In April 1913, investigators located a child in neighboring Mississippi who seemed to match Bobby's description. The boy was living in the home of William Walters, a handyman who specialized in repairing pianos and organs. When interviewed by the police, Walters readily admitted the boy was not his son, but he did say that he knew the boy's mother. The child was not the missing Bobby Dunbar, he said. His name was Charles Bruce Anderson, who went by the name of Bruce. He was the son of Julia Anderson, a young woman who worked for the Walters family. Strangely, thanks to the publicity surrounding Bobby Dunbar's disappearance, the police had already questioned William Walters several times. In fact, Bobby's uncle had personally spoken to Bruce and concluded the boy was not his nephew. However, people in the area, likely enticed by the promise of the reward, kept contacting the police and insisting that Bruce was the missing child. Finally, investigators had to act. William Walters was arrested for kidnapping and the boy was taken into state custody. Meanwhile, Percy and Lessie Dunbar, thrilled by the news that Bobby had been found, hurried to the town of Hub, Mississippi to claim their child. But no part of the story would turn out to be simple. While some newspapers claim that the boy cried out and ran into the arms of Lessie Dunbar, other sources claim that he wept frightened tears and that Mrs. Dunbar expressed doubts about whether he was actually her son. Reports about Bobby's reunion with his brother Alonzo were also mixed. Some claimed the boy was happy to see his brother, while others said the boys appeared to be strangers. As for Percy Dunbar, he openly announced that the boy was his missing son, Bobby. But not so fast. Bobby had brown hair and Bruce was blonde. The difference was explained away, saying that Walters used hair bleach to hide the boy's identity. 
But what about the scar Bobby had on one foot that Bruce didn't have? Well, Bobby was so young when the injury occurred, it must have faded. Bruce also didn't look so much like Bobby because he'd gotten older, and besides that, life had been rough living with the handyman. It's fascinating to see what we'll tell ourselves when we want something so badly to be true. But some reporters wanted to know why William Walters would have kidnapped Bobby in the first place. Well, that was easy, Percy Dunbar told them. Walters had taken the boy to be used as a shill for begging. It's a lot easier for people to be generous when they think their spare change is going to feed a little boy. Well, the reporter swallowed the story and wrote it down. Despite the fact that Walters had never been a beggar, homeless, or even unemployed, he had steady work, and while he wasn't rich, he did just fine for himself. Compared to the much more well-off Dunbar family, though, well, then he was certainly poor. Reporters pointed out the differences in the two men with Percy in his suit and tie and William in his faded shirt and overalls. Well, of course, the handyman had taken the rich man's child. That was easy to see. While Percy was making a spectacle out of their alleged son's safe return, Lessie Dunbar was stewing. She wasn't convinced the boy was her son. Not at first. She didn't say anything on the first evening. In fact, it was not until the next day, after Lessie had given the little boy a bath and found what she claimed were familiar marks and moles on his body, that she admitted that Bruce was probably Bobby. Just remember, this was 1912 in the rural South. Women did what their husbands told them to do. Even if Lessie didn't really believe the boy was her son, Percy wasn't going to allow her to talk about it. I think it's very telling that Lessie refused to make any public statement about the boy until her husband urged her to do so. On the day after claiming the child, Lessie finally made a statement to reporters and told them that the boy was definitely her lost son, Bobby. But as I said, Nothing about this case comes without complication. While William Walters was sitting in a jail cell accused of kidnapping, his friends, neighbors, and relatives came to his defense. Many of them clearly recalled seeing Bruce at the Walters' home long before Bobby Dunbar had even gone missing. But Percy had money and influence, and he convinced the sheriff to ignore the objections and keep Walters behind bars. No one, of course, asked five-year-old Bruce what he wanted. He was too young to decide for himself, it was thought. It was clear, though, that he was terrified about being separated from the only father and the only home he knew. The Dunbars had been staying in Mississippi while the situation worked itself out, and Percy was anxious to get his wife and son home. He grandly presented a letter to the sheriff, formally recognizing Bruce as his son Bobby, and the little boy was immediately released into his full custody. When the family returned home to Opelousas, a parade was thrown in their honor, celebrating Bobby's safe return. Locals were thrilled for the family, and so were the newspapers. They wrote sensational stories about how Bobby was saved from certain death and freed from the clutches of a sinister kidnapper. The stories were printed in papers across the country and especially throughout the South. The Hippodrome Theater in New Orleans contacted the Dunbars to ask if Bobby's story could be told from their stage with the little boy in the spotlight, of course. 
The theater was more than willing to pay, and Percy immediately agreed. Reporters hung around town and showed up on the Dunbar's front porch. Percy couldn't resist talking to them. He released a series of statements that confirmed that the found boy had all the identifying marks that proved he was Bobby. He also created a lot of animosity toward William Walters, who was still in jail, by the way, by announcing that Bobby had immediately recognized his mother. He hadn't and told Lessie that he had been beaten into submission by his kidnapper. Well, this announcement forced the sheriff back in Mississippi to increase security at the jail where Walters was being held because now there were rumors he might be lynched. Aside from that, no one really knew what to do with Bobby's accused kidnapper, the thoroughly confused William Walters. Not only was he facing kidnapping charges, but details about his life were being shared throughout the country. Given the public anger surrounding the alleged kidnapping, he was quickly becoming one of the most hated men in America. If the reporters had slowed things down a little and taken a closer look at the situation, they would have been asking questions about William Walters instead of making accusations. The biggest question on the list would have been how Walters, who walked with a visible limp, could have taken Bobby in the first place. But things were just too heated. There were people who spoke up for Walters, but far too many others, including the local sheriff, who thought they were going to get a share of the Dunbar reward money since they'd turned him in. Oh, uh, I guess I should mention when it comes to the reward, um, I probably should have said that the reward offer had actually expired months before Bobby was supposedly found in Mississippi. Percy didn't plan to pay it, but no one knew that yet. It was, though, one of the reasons why he wanted to get back home so fast. Well, the entire town of Hub was basically split over the question of whether Walter should kidnap the boy or if the boy really was Bruce Anderson, as Walters had been saying all along. The sheriff and other local authorities had no idea what to do. After the Dunbars took the boy back to Louisiana, the state had lost its prime witness, but there was just too much attention on the county and the small town for officials to back down when it came to charging Walters. Luckily for the up-until-now-unlucky William Walters, however, he had an attorney who took pity on him and stepped in to try and help. Hollis C. Rawls worked on the handyman's behalf, and he began collecting formal depositions in support of his client including one from a woman who swore that the boy had been sitting on her lap when she read a newspaper story about Bobby Dunbar's disappearance. But no one cared. Public opinion, newspaper attention, the promise of the reward, and damning statements by Percy Dunbar had turned most people against Walters. The possibility of a fair trial for the man seemed increasingly remote. And to make matters worse, since kidnapping was a capital offense in Louisiana... Walters would be hanged if he was convicted. This meant that Hollis Rawls had to do everything he could to make sure his client was not extradited out of Mississippi to the state where the crime allegedly occurred. This was the toughest job of his career. Dozens of new stories appeared every day, each filled with photos of Bobby and his loving family. It didn't matter who had doubts about the boy's real identity. The Dunbars were busy claiming publicly that the boy was their son. To the mouth-breathing public, this meant that Walter was a kidnapper, guilty as charged. There seemed to be nothing Hollis Rawls or his clients, many friends and neighbors, could say to sway public opinion in the opposite direction. The case had also become a political hot potato. Louisiana's governor was leaning on Mississippi's Governor Earl Hall to agree to Walter's extradition, but Hall didn't appreciate the pressure. 
No one was going to tell him what he had or didn't have to do. He decided to hire his own private detective to look into the matter, and the detective quickly learned that the Dunbars were badly mistaken that boy was not their son. When confronted with this information, Percy Dunbar refused to believe it. He fought back by arranging for his family physician to examine Bobby and then write a letter to bolster the case for Walter's extradition to Louisiana. The doctor, likely after some cash changed hands, agreed to write anything Percy wanted him to write. That was it. The deck was badly stacked against William Walters. And that's when Julia Anderson showed up. Once again, everything about the story was turned upside down. Julia Anderson, the young woman that Walters had maintained was Bruce's mother, had been far from home, toiling as a transient farm worker in North Carolina when the story of Bobby Dunbar blew up. She received a letter from a neighbor telling her that her son had been taken from William's home and Julia quickly scraped together what little money she had to get back to Mississippi. When she arrived, she stormed into the sheriff's office and demanded to press charges against the Dunbars who had unlawfully kidnapped her son but the police refused to take her report. Julia was dismissed by the cops, ignored by the press, and uh, laughed at by the Dunbars. She was a crank, people said, making up a story to make herself look better. Julia was, as many called her, morally unstable. Well, she was definitely outside the norm for women in 1912. She was unsure who her son's father was, but the most likely candidate was William Walter's brother, Bunt who had skipped town after he learned she was pregnant. A year later, she had another baby, a daughter named Bernice, whose father was also unknown. Realizing that she couldn't care for the children in the poverty-stricken situation she was in, she arranged to have Bernice adopted and entrusted Bruce to William, the boy's likely uncle. When she learned that William had been arrested and Bruce had essentially been kidnapped, she'd hurried home in hopes of settling the matter. Oh, when Percy Dunbar learned that Julia was on her way back to Mississippi, he did everything he could to keep the boy from being taken away. He arranged a lineup of sorts. It was held in a darkened room, and Julia was expected to decide which one of three similar-looking boys was her son. Here's the catch, though. Bobby, or Bruce, wasn't even in the room for the lineup. Julia did her best. She hadn't seen her boy in over a year, and when faced with three unfamiliar children in a dimly lit room, she announced that none of the boys were her son. Well, she passed the test with flying colors, but no one took notice after Percy Dunbar triumphantly announced to reporters that she'd failed. Well, county officials, who should have been running the lineup in the first place, objected to how things were handled, but they were overruled by the governor's office. Soon after the test, she actually did see Bruce and correctly identified him, but was still publicly dismissed as a fraud. Finally, faced with threats of arrest for her role in Bobby Dunbar's kidnapping, what role? And more importantly, not having the money to stand up to the wealthy Dunbars, Julia left town in despair. This moved the last barrier out of the way for Walter's extradition to Louisiana. There he would stand trial for Bobby's kidnapping. So that he could cover the cost of the trial and the legal experts that Hollis Rawls needed, Williams put up his share of the family farm for collateral. 
He borrowed whatever he needed so he could make up the rest. Even if by some miracle, Walter was acquitted at trial, there was a good chance he'd be financially ruined. William Walter's trial began almost immediately and was covered each day in the newspapers. Despite the evidence presented by Rawls and Williams' defense, public support was still against them. The Dunbars had invested considerable time and resources by hiring detectives to dig into William's life and find anything they could to discredit him. Simply put, the Dunbars were wealthy and people like William Walters and Julie Anderson were not. They used the newspapers to play up the difference in their social status and to keep Bobby on display as often as possible. To add to the confusion, Bobby himself had spent weeks with the Dunbar family, being treated as their son and told constantly that he was really Bobby Dunbar, not Bruce Anderson. The kid was only five years old and his memories of his earlier life began to fade. The little boy began to think of himself as Bobby, which made a new name and a new life with a privileged family a lot easier to accept. The trial lasted for two weeks. The prosecutor presented a theory that could sympathetically be called unique, I guess. He, he claimed that William had somehow kidnapped Bobby, switched Bruce Anderson for Bobby Dunbar, and likely had both boys in his care for a short time. Confused? Yeah, me too. Before this, no one even admitted Bruce even existed, let alone that he'd been switched for Bobby as a changeling. What became of the real Bruce Anderson? Who knows? Prosecutor never really made that clear. Though defense witnesses testified that William had been in Mississippi when the kidnapping occurred, prosecution witnesses swore they'd seen him in Louisiana. Julia Anderson also testified on William's behalf, but her status as a loose woman worked against her. The newspapers never failed to refer to Bruce as her illegitimate child. You know, the kid that wasn't supposed to exist. I don't know. The case was decided before the trial even started. William never had a prayer. It was sent to the jury on April 28, 1914. He was found guilty of kidnapping. The jury spared him the death penalty, but he was still sentenced to spend life in prison. Later that same evening, someone managed to get into the cell where he was being held and beat him severely, likely giving William an idea of how he'd expect the rest of his years in prison to be. Attorney Hollis Rawls filed an immediate appeal, but the request was rejected. Julia, devastated by the verdict, collapsed outside the courtroom and spent weeks in a New Orleans charity hospital recovering from the shock. But her shock was nothing like that experienced by William Walters. He was sent to a federal penitentiary to serve out his sentence. His supporters continued to rally for his release, and Julia, after being let out from the hospital, moved back to Mississippi to help with the effort. Finally, after two years of legal pressure, William's sentence was overturned on a technicality, and he was released. Most likely, someone in the governor's office took a closer look at the case and realized the poor man had been railroaded and he was quickly freed to make the whole mess go away. Well, even after gaining his freedom, the stigma of his conviction and the ordeal of his incarceration traumatized him for the rest of his life. His time in prison had destroyed his health. He left the penitentiary on a stretcher and had to be treated in a hospital before he could even go home. When he returned to Mississippi, he found little of his old life remained. While Hollis Rawls and many of his friends stood by him, 
He had still been publicly branded as a kidnapper. He hadn't been exonerated, only released because of a technical error. The cost of his defense depleted his life savings and he was in desperate need of money. For a time, he joined a traveling sideshow and did programs where he talked about his ordeal and the truth behind his conviction. Once public interest in the case faded, though, his stage career came to an end. With no home to go back to, he became a drifter, working odd jobs and riding the rails around the country. No one knows what became of him after 1920. His death and final resting place were never recorded. Even after William was freed from prison, the Dunbar stubbornly refused to admit their mistake and returned Bruce to his mother. Julia remained determined to get her child back, but her lawyers had largely given up trying since public opinion was so firmly set against them. It didn't help that the Dunbars continued to parade Bobby around in every venue they could find, trying to ensure that public sentiment would never turn against them. Julia remained in Mississippi and eventually married a cousin of Hollis Rawls. She went on to have eight more children, although she never gave up hope of being reunited with Bruce. Her children all grew up hearing stories about their missing brother. Some would say that fate had a hand in how things turned out for the Dunbar family. In the years that followed William Walter's conviction and then release, public opinion did slowly turn against them. Perhaps people were tired of the entire spectacle, especially since Percy continued to milk the publicity, even going as far as to use it to advance a political career. It's also possible that some had finally started to doubt the story. Lessie Dunbar, for reasons that she never shared publicly, later abandoned her family and moved to California. After she and Percy divorced following a public scandal related to what turned out to be one of Percy's many affairs, she returned to Louisiana, remarried, and had other children. Strangely, or really, or not, I suppose, she had no relationship with Bobby who was supposedly her oldest son. As for Bobby, or whoever he was, he had learned to regurgitate the details of his kidnapping ordeal on command, and over time came to accept the memories that had been given to him as the truth. Regardless, the doubt about his identity followed him for many years. Percy later shipped both his sons off to live with their grandparents, and Bobby was enrolled in military school. Whenever the story of his kidnapping resurfaced, as it did on occasion, he continued to insist that he was a Dunbar. In a news story from 1948, he expressed the wish to meet William Walters to learn more about the story of his kidnapping. He even traveled to Mississippi as an adult and met Hollis Rawls to learn more about the case. What was said between them, though, is unknown. And there's no proof he ever met Julia Anderson, but she was living nearby and was married to Hollis's brother at the time, so it's possible that he did. When Percy Dunbar died, Bobby was left nothing in his father's will. Alonzo Dunbar inherited everything. This may have been because, by all accounts, Bobby was mostly estranged from the Dunbar family by the time he became an adult. He became a certified electrician and moved to Houston, Texas, where he and his wife Marjorie raised four children. The man known as Bobby Dunbar died of a massive heart attack on March 8, 1966, at the age of only 57. His obituary mentioned he was survived by his wife, children, and six grandchildren, but made no mention of the mystery that once held the attention of the nation. But the mystery of Bobby Dunbar's disappearance lived on. 
1999, his granddaughter, Margaret Dunbar Cutright, started looking into the case. She'd initially started her investigation hoping to prove that she was a Dunbar. The results, however, told a different story. After considerable research and numerous interviews, she came to believe that her grandfather was not Bobby Dunbar, that he'd been Bruce Anderson all along. Margaret's investigation divided the family, many of whom wished she'd left the past alone. She could dig up all the old papers and listen to all the old stories she wanted, but they didn't prove anything. But that would change too. In 2006, Robert Dunbar Jr., Margaret's father and the son of the man known as Bobby Dunbar, participated in a DNA test with his cousin, the son of Alonzo Dunbar. The DNA test proved they were not related. While many members of the family were angry about the results, the DNA tests brought some closure to the story. The boy the Dunbars had claimed was their son was Bruce Anderson. There was no question about it. But was this really the end? Hadn't the test raised even more questions? Namely, what happened to little Bobby Dunbar? Somewhere in the middle of the whole mess, the boy had vanished without a trace. And a story so filled with tragedy from the taking of Julia Anderson's son to the years the wrongfully convicted William Walter spent in prison, the greatest horror became the unsolved disappearance of the boy who no one ever found. He was never found because no one, including his own family, ever bothered to look for him. To this day, no new clues have been discovered in the 1912 vanishing of the real Bobby Dunbar. He'd been playing outside one day and disappeared, only to be forgotten eight months later when his parents decided to claim another boy as their own. To this day, no one is looking for Bobby. His story's been lost, forgotten by time, and by the people who once loved him. And that, I believe, is the saddest part of this entire story. Because I have to end it with a few simple words. Bobby Dunbar was never seen again. I'm ready. All right. Thanks for returning for more episodes of the American Hauntings podcast, where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. This is season seven of the podcast, which we call... That's the NSYNC song you didn't know oh, about. God. I love it so much. Uh, you warned um, me. I did. I did warn you. I'm your co-host, uh, the morbidly charismatic Cody Beck, I would say. And with me is my co-host, author, historian, cry buff, the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Yep. I'm here. Sorry. Yeah, I'm already Even just, after I'm that, pissing them off I, didn't, so quick. I didn't shut down or, or go away or leave the room. So. I had to educate you on current <laughs> pop culture from 12 years ago. I was going to say, how current was that? I, I don't even know if Justin is just too like alive still, probably. Yeah, I think he is, but I don't think NSYNC is. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, sorry, I had to add a couple of um, adjectives to my thing because uh, one of our – uh, fans, uh, Jamie reached out and she was like, you guys always do this. Uh, you always give the intro and say all this stuff about Troy, but you never say anything fun about yourself. And I was like, you know what? That's I, right. I don't. <laughs> There's nothing fun about me, but I'm just going to start making shit up. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Um, what's going on, man? We haven't uh, 
caught up? I mean, we've texted a little bit about yeah, stuff, but yeah. uh, what's, what's been going on? I know. Well, last Friday, my new book came out. Um, it's the one I had talked about a little bit. Yeah. Um, one Night in Salem is out. Um, I, I, I just keep telling everybody it's not just about the Salem witch trials. Actually, you know, the best way I could probably describe it is that if you liked our last season of the podcast, mm-hmm. you'll probably like this book uh, because okay. it was sort of the inspiration for the podcast. Um, and, you know, it, it covers the Salem witch trials, but it's really about witchcraft in America, mm-hmm. uh, like from the early colonists to, um, you know, Appalachian folk magic and hex magic and voodoo and hoodoo. And so it's a lot of stuff pulled from other seasons. You know, it, it was just sort of an inspiration for it. So um, I had a lot of fun writing it. I think people um, will enjoy it. I, I had it over the weekend at some of our events and um, we sold a lot of them and there have been a lot of orders coming in. So um, anyway, it's, um, you know, it's a little different, but it's still definitely one of my books. I mean, you don't, you don't find many books about, you know, about witchcraft that then suddenly take a skew into like, you know, gruesome true, true crime, you know, yeah. to, because it's based on it. So, you know, can, can I uh, ask you, yeah. um, why uh, why you uh, went with that title like instead of just like a brand new kind of thing then or well because um that the the one one night one day one afternoon thing is is something i've just been toying with like I, i've been enjoying it I, I mean it started with like uh, one august morning for lizzie borden and then it was one night at the biograph you know one afternoon at the iroquois one you know one day in the Valley of the Kings. And so that one thing has just been kind of fun. Okay. So I just came up with something that will match it. No, no. <laughs> but I thought, you know, I mean, totally Salem fair. personifies, you know, witchcraft in America. I just don't want people to think that's the only thing it's about. Cause it's right. not, and it's not a spell book and not a how to book about how to get back at your ex, oh. your, your exes or your boss. Or Never mind. I'm canceling my like order. Then. So, I mean, I suppose you could take some, inspiration from it but um don't blame me <laughs> it's not a step-by-step guide yeah no no nothing like that so um, um but the yeah. weekend after next uh, mm-hmm. uh for those who are listeners in northern illinois chicago wisconsin iowa up in that area uh, i'm going to be at the uh, galena illinois uh for the weekend of uh, march 31st and april 1st for their annual ghost conference the haunted galena tours ted and robin up there have been doing it for a couple of years now and um, this conference is in downtown Galena, which is a really cool little town. I don't know if you've been, have you, do, have you been up there before? I, I've heard of the town, I think only because of you, but when I was going through this outline, I was like, oh, I don't know about this. I, I want to know what's yeah, going on. Yeah, they, they had asked me to come back again this year and, um, the, the conference is at the DeSoto house. It's this old haunted hotel right in downtown Galena. Um, and it's, you know, Galena reminds me a lot of it's kind of an Alton-ish kind of town because it's on the Mississippi River. Mm-hmm. They just have a lot more. Um, well, I just think their tourism bureau is doing a much better job than Alton's is. You know, um, like f- fair shots yeah, fired. A shot across the bow. But still, um, they they have a lot more things to do and see and that kind of thing there. Um, but, you know, it's not as haunted as Alton, in my opinion. But uh, anyway, it's a cool little town, and uh, the conference is fun, and it's at the hotel. And so then there are till, still tickets available. Um, do you, you can just Google Haunted Galena Ghost Conference, or um, if you are on my Facebook page, I, I posted about it a week or so ago, and a lot of people have been um, following the link from there. So, yeah, what it's, you, it's what are you going to be doing the there? weekend after next. What's that? 
what are you, what are you going to be doing there specifically? Uh, well, we have a vendor table here? set up, and okay. I'll be speaking there for the weekend. So I'll, I'll do it doing a presentation on Saturday afternoon. Just signing autographs all day. Uh, yeah, well, signing books. I don't really sign autographs. I is mean, it, I just like, you know, I don't go around and just sign people's papers or things you for, know, for, but, for people just jumping onto the podcast too it took me so long to get troy to actually sign one of his books for me i think he thought it was a sarcastic thing it's like troy i know i want you to uh, sign this well, book I didn't for know. me <laughs> I, well i know i mean how could you with our relationship like we just <laughs> yeah, fuck with each exactly. other all the time what am i supposed to know so um so so what what date is that again it is it's march 31st and april 1st it's uh friday and Saturday. it's the last friday of the month first saturday in april so uh, but yeah, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun and it's a cool place to stay. And I think, I think they've got a discount on the hotel if you're booked for the conference too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's, it's probably filling up. It's not a gigantic hotel. I mean, it's, it's big, but it's not, you know, massive or anything. Cause it's a historical building. So how far yeah. away is, is Galena from Alton say, uh, let's see. It's about, it's probably five hours or so. Um, okay, so and there's no like context, you, there's yeah. no like super direct route. You kind of kind of veer toward the east, and then as you're going north, um, because I mean you could probably drive the well you could you could drive the Great River Road all the way there, but that no would shit. take like two days, you know. Yeah. So if you just want to get there quick, there are interstates that will take you there a little bit faster. But okay, um, and and speaking of the conferences, we would we're dealing with some stuff this weekend, and we got taken care of too. Uh, for our own conference, which is coming up in June, and um, it is it's filling up quickly. I mean, we are well beyond any record attendance we ever have ever had. It's amazing. Um, and so you don't want to miss this year's event. I mean, we got the new theater, we got theater seating, that huge auditorium, twice the vendor room, all kinds of parking, free parking, and all that. Um, we have a lot of the after hour events that we have have sold out, but we also have a lot left still. Um, so if you want to take part in the conference and some of the after hour events, you got to get your tickets now uh, mm-hmm. before it gets too late, because, um, like I said, things are filling up. And I have a feeling that we're going to reach our, our maximum number. I mean, uh, the theater will seat 900, but I don't know that we'll go quite that high. Uh-huh. Uh, but we will reach a max number at some point and we'll have to cut it off. And yeah. I just don't I mean, I I would love to see as many of our listeners there as possible, just because it's nice when we get to put some. Um, faces with names or just don't even know that who's listening you know yeah. that's that's the thing the podcast has been a different kind of animal for me because i don't see names or anything you know for the most part you know i only know when people are listening when they tell us you know yeah, that's it's, it's, it. it's like it's for me too it's like this is just because of who i am as a person it's nothing personal it's just i put faces to names that i immediately forget but i recognize yes. their face or instagram right, 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 handle right. or something or i'll, I'll remember names yeah. Like on a sheet when I'll see the name come up like, oh, yeah, they've done they've done other things or, yeah, they'd ordered these books or whatever. So I'll remember the names and then I'll remember faces when I see them, but we'll not put the two together if you. Oh, don't man, me. I'm terrible about that. So it's, you know, it's just too many people. I can't keep track of all of them. And I'll, I'll look at people and I'll go, well, they look really familiar and I know they've come in. If I heard the name, I would know the name. But I can't put it together. Right. No way. Well, I mean, think if you really think about it, like we as a uh, you know, evolutionary thing, we're not meant to see so many faces and have so many names yeah, this quickly. Like we were good with tribes of, you know, 30 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm excited this year, too, for the conference, because um, normally 
I, I'll normally I, I'll go uh, like Friday afternoon or maybe I'll take a half day or whatever and kind of set stuff up. But like, I'm going to take off that whole Friday and oh, help cool. get stuff set up. It's going to be, yeah. cause it's, it's going to be so much bigger and there's going to be so yeah. much different logistics and things mm-hmm. and just so many more people. And, yeah. um, but I think it's going to be so much better. And, and oh, it is. I'm not For even sure. joking. I am proud of you, dude. You, you're taking this to the next level. Well, we, we had to, cause where we were at, I mean, it was just, it was just too crowded. It was just too cramped. We just couldn't it do it anymore, you know? And, um, Wow, I mean, fun to have, you know, being right there where you're staying is fun, but I mean, it's only like 10 minutes away. Yeah, it's not you know, bad. so it's not, John. it's not far. Um, but it's just, it's a world of difference in the location and the venue. So, yeah, yeah no, I'm excited about it. I really am. Did you ever, uh, ever spend any like much time at Lewis and Clark at all? Um, I mean, just for stuff like this. Yeah. Um, that's the only thing I, I've never really spent. Any kind of, I mean, I I didn't attend there or anything, and I've been, but I've been out on campus for things before, and mm-hmm. it's a really nice campus, man. I I was just blown away by how nice it was. I did, you know, my my I did two years community college there, and then I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I went and asked my, like my favorite teacher. Um, I was like, what should I do? And she was like, the school is so cheap right now. She's like, take classes that you want to for one semester. I took three psychology classes and a non-Western religions class. It was my favorite semester. And that for community college, it is so nice. It is so well fun. It's just gotten better and better and better. Yeah, you would... You would never know it was a community college if just Edwardsville to go on that was, campus. You would if, not. If so. Edwardsville wasn't right there, it would be SIUG like uh-huh. at some point. Yeah. You know, it's so <laughs> yeah. nice yeah. and they have such good facilities and stuff. So I'm excited to get back yeah. there. Yeah, um, uh, just one, one other thing I wanted to mention, too. Um, I'm really bad at responding to like pretty much anybody, family, friends, anybody. But uh, people reached out after the last episode um, with condolences for Carl, my cat. Oh, yeah. Um, right, I just yeah. want to say thank you so much. Like people just – you didn't have to do that, and it really meant a lot. And I read every yeah, one of them, nice. and that was awesome. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, any more upcoming stuff we want to talk? No, about? no, no. I think we're good for now. So I, I don't want to bury us in upcoming events because you know there's always like a hundred things upcoming all the I mean, time. So we, you know, we're always hustling. Uh, we, we started a new tour. We actually we've started two new tours this season. So. You know, I but I, I don't want to bury us in in coming events. I'll save it for next time. I mean, so. they can hit the skip button, but yeah, it's your call. Um, so okay, yeah, listener reviews again. iTunes um, really really helps us out when we get reviews there. I, I told Troy last week uh, that I figured out a way to aggregate all of our reviews, um, it, even for iTunes, because iTunes doesn't show us like out of country yeah, reviews, but a, they're still there. Telling me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this this is one. This is a little different. Uh, there are two reviews um, that I'm going to read here. So this first one's from Meg uh, underscore underscore in the basement, and it's just titled Help. It says, Troy Taylor isn't feeding me. The only way I'm able to get at least a crumb is if I put five stars on any podcast site. Please, Troy, what? feed me. I need it. That was weird. The and hell? Then, <laughs> and then another review after that was Zachary B., with three exclamation points, which might be my cousin who was at Dead of Winter, but his is titled, I'm free. Troy finally let me out of his cellar because I left a five-star review. He kept me well-fed at least. Thanks, Troy. I don't know what's going on. Okay, I don't either. Um, yeah, that's a new one on me. Uh, I had not seen those. So Yeah. Uh, but I did see this one, um, so I've got a review for you. Oh, um, are you sure you so want to do this? I won't – yeah, I won't put the name on it because they're um, – you know, we're too cowardly to – you know, 
actually address me. So I don't mind if people want to put a one-star review on something and complain about me personally. Sure. I, I don't care. Um, you know, that's fine if that's what you want to do. Cause I mean, the more reviews you put the, you know, better for us anyway, but, Absolutely. um, but you know, I've asked like repeatedly, if someone has a problem with me personally, please just contact me directly instead of hiding behind a review. Um, uh, but I, I only wanted to bring this up because I'd like to address it as not being true. So okay. here it is. Okay. Absolutely. So, okay. So the title of the, the review is shame on you, Troy Taylor. Uh -huh. Um, and the, the, the review is, so, you know, everything, what hubris, I, I guess I'm thinking the word of the day calendar came in handy, right? Um, how dare you declare the Bermuda triangle is not an area of great mystery and high strangeness. It most certainly is really heavily invested in the Bermuda triangle. Anyway, just because you don't believe in it doesn't make it. So how is it you of all the authors that have written about it are the only one to know the truth? Well, I, I'm not, but okay. You are far too cynical in a number of things, so much so that you could be considered fake news. Jesus Christ. In the future, when expressing an opinion, please do not try to dress it up as fact. Well, actually, I didn't dress it up as fact. It is a fact. You presented um, facts. Everything that I presented were facts. They weren't just my opinion. You had bullet um, points. I, they were basically. a list of ships that did not disappear in the Bermuda Triangle. Right. And it was a list of data about other places that had disappearances that were just as filled with things that disappeared as the Bermuda Triangle was. Yeah. All I said, and I'm going to stick by it, is that that was an inflated myth that came about in the 1970s before we had good access to historical records. Um, that Those were all facts. Yeah. So, but anyway... Um, I do need, we do, I, we decided we probably need, I need a t-shirt that says shame on you, Troy Taylor, or you should wear it. And then I'll wear one that says, get rid of Cody back. Yes. So uh, we I, I started working on them. Yeah. But anyway, um, so, you know, just in the future, uh, you're, you're welcome to leave the review, but if people have a problem in the future, please just contact me. I'm more than happy to discuss it with you. I, I don't, you know. I don't, I don't, whatever. What, were they, were they just like born on a boat in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle? I don't know. So I, I, don't know but I mean, I, I'm like, you know, does the Bermuda Triangle owe you money? What, right, what's the right. deal? I don't understand. Anyway, whatever. Uh, anyway, but that's still, um, yeah, it, it is, it's also, it is also my opinion, but those were also facts. Um, yeah. I, I'm not the only one who says that, but yeah. And, it's, and it's, let go it, of your let go of, you know, your your in search of from the 1970s. So yeah. it's also like you it's not like you were mad at the Bermuda Triangle. No, <laughs> you're, like, you're just like, hey, it's a fun story, but happened, it's not yeah. true. So yeah. anyway, whatever. Anyway, yeah. let's move on. That's amazing. I've read that review to multiple people, but I'd never read it to you. Uh, but I was hoping you'd find it. Um, <laughs> OK, so um, OK, March uh, 1928, L.A., 10-year-old uh, Walter Collins goes missing. Uh, they find him five months later in uh, DeKalb. Where is DeKalb, Illinois? It's DeKalb. Oh, um, sorry, and it's sorry. up by um, uh, kind of south of Rockford, up in that area. Um, it's where um, it's where uh, Northern Illinois University is, is in DeKalb. Um, it's it's not a very big town. Yeah. Um, so it's it's but it is it is up kind of straight up north from us. Okay. South of South of Rockford, um, south of like um, oh, like in the I eighty area around you know a, a 
you know, LaSalle, Peru, it's it's closer to Chicago than that. So okay, okay, yeah. And also, people, you're not missing all. You're not missing. I, I figured, but also, like, people, um, I obviously could have googled this stuff before and put it in here, but <laughs> I purposely ask these things to get that information. I know, I mean, so someone uh, else doesn't have to look it up. Right. Um, if only so, we had a way. So. If only we had anyway, a way. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, they, yeah, they find the kid. Um, five months later, uh, it won the kid. Well, a kid. Yes. Yeah. Captain JJ Jones disagrees and says, yeah. "Try him out for a couple weeks." Yeah, that was my favorite. That's like one of my favorite lines from that story. Um, and that was, was, that, know, like, that a was like a quote, quote where he tried. Yeah. Yeah. No, really try him out for a couple of weeks. Maybe, you know, maybe you'll like him or, you know, maybe really you'll, the point was you'll come to your senses and realize it's your kid. And I honestly don't really think, and this story, if you want to watch the, the movie version of this, which you should, if you haven't seen it, um, the movie's just called changeling and it's a, a Clint Eastwood directed it stars Angelina Jolie. Um, as oh, she yeah, plays yeah, yeah. Margaret and, you know, in the little boy that goes missing. That's one of my favorite films. They did such a great job with turning L.A. into 1920s L.A. It just it's beautiful. And um, that um, that's, uh, you know, that's it's pretty darn close to how it all really happened. Wow. You know, I locked her up in a mental institution and all kinds of stuff and shot her up with drugs and stuff to try to and gave her electroshock therapy to try Jesus. to con you know, convinced her that was her kid because this this one police captain in the, you know, the hierarchy at the LAPD, they'd already been through some scandals with, of course, many more to come. But still, they'd been through some scandals and they wanted to cover it up that they'd made a mistake. It was so well publicized. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was started with good intentions. They really thought it was Walter. I yeah. mean, the kid looked enough like him, but then you find out the kid just wanted to get a free trip to L.A. because he thought he could get into the movies. Hell <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have, so I have a, crazy. a few a few questions. Um, I might have misread something, but so they did all that stuff to her when she was um, in that institution. But was she only in there for 10 days? Yeah, she was. Yeah, she wasn't in there for very long. And she, uh, a sympathetic lawyer got her sprung. So wow. I, I just use the. I just use this as kind of an intro to a changeling intro uh, mm -hmm. that one that people might have heard of because most people have not heard of this Bobby Dunbar story, but mm -hmm. more people are familiar with that one because of the movie. So, right. but I thought I made a good intro to so to show that that stuff really did happen. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, kind of crazy. Um. So, okay. Well, we'll okay. We're gonna we'll dive into the the bigger story in a second. But I have uh, one or two more questions. Um, yeah. How? So. Could the kid just run away from home and like be like, I'm just going to go to L.A.? Like, I mean, well, it was a I different mean, yeah, time. I mean, I, it, it, you know, it's a, it was a funny time in America. You know, people didn't have driver's licenses or IDs. And, you know, I mean, you just kind of did whatever. I mean, that's how guys end up riding the rails. And that's right. why we have so many stories about people. Well, even like in this particular story, they just take off and they're never heard from again. We don't know yeah. what the hell happened to them because they changed their name and who's to stop them. You know, you could call yourself anything you wanted to. Well, you still can, but it's a little harder to get away with it now. Sure. But back then you could get away with anything, you know, you just take off and off you go. But yeah, this is a young kid. Yeah. And I mean, he just, he I mean, probably practically feral or, you know, whatever, <laughs> right. you know, and so he's got a chance to go to Hollywood. So he just says, Hey, and then, you know, I'd say good chance he had somebody put him up to it, too. But even so, I mean, this kid just takes off. And the next thing you know, he's in Los Angeles and he's, 
you know, claiming to be somebody he wasn't. And this kid lied about this for a couple of weeks yeah. and just kept lying. Oh, I'm your kid. I'm your kid. And she's like, no, you're not. And everybody's trying to convince her that she's crazy. You know, <sighs> it's insane. Well, it's so, an insane story. It really is. The, so the last question I'm going to ask also, once we got to um, Nelson and Lewis Winslow in this, and you started mentioning changelings, I was like, yeah. hell yes. Like I was so excited yeah, um, right, for yeah. this, but so, so, I have like a, a bigger overarching question about this kind of stuff. Um, uh, I, I I don't have any children. Um, is there a point? Like, can, can you believe that somebody wouldn't be able to recognize their child? Is it just delusion and confirmation bias? Or like, I feel like if my kid got stolen day one, I might be like, fuck, now I really can't tell. I don't know if I didn't have yeah, a mark I, on their foot or something. Well, yeah, but, but that's you. <laughs> I, well, yeah, so I don't know. Or not you. <laughs> Let's say, say Oren is gone at age four, comes back yeah. at age five. Like, is there any way you wouldn't like, no? You know, I mean, I suppose if circumstances were extreme and, and we are, you know, we are talking about a different time period in American history. And it's high. You know, there, there stuff, wasn't yeah. a lot of medical care. Um, it wasn't like, you know, people were getting their vitamins or eating right or whatever. So I suppose under really horrendous conditions, it could happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would think more time would have to pass than, you know, eight, nine months. You know, I mean, I, I, I could see where, you know, say your kid was kidnapped at age three and they don't show up again for 10 years and they're only mm -hmm. found, you know, they're you know, somehow the DNA is traced and this is your kid and here they are. Yeah, you're probably not going to rec – you might recognize things about them if you spend time with them, you know, a facial expression or the way that they do something or, you know, just something genetic, something hereditary. Um, but, you know, as far as their personality or what, there's no way you could because they're completely different people now. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I I mean That's this – I, I never That's bought this. Answer. I mean, it's like eight or nine months and then, you know, it hasn't been gone that long and they just right. keep trying to tell them, oh, yeah, but, you know, oh, conditions were terrible. And, you know, I mean, and the Bobby Dunbar story is insane. Yeah. I mean, well, let's, let's dive Collins into it. Thing, at least the, the fake kid at least had the same color hair and stuff right. and resembled Walter. But this kid, I mean, you know, this is nuts. I don't. It's it, how does it, this even happen? You I, know, I, I don't know. And so, um, I, I mean, I, at, at this point, honestly, like, I want to talk about Bobby Dunbar. And we're going to dive into that now, but I'm just going to skip to the end. Do you have any thoughts on what actually no, happened? Nobody knows. I mean, the Nothing. kid was it. They were at the lake one day and, yeah. um, you know, they were on a fishing trip. So, I mean, I don't think he probably drowned. They drugged the lake. I mean, as, as I told the story, they even killed alligators looking to see if he got eaten, you know? Yeah. Nobody heard anything. Nobody saw anything. If an alligator had attacked a young kid, he would have screamed. Somebody would have heard something because there were a lot of people around the lake that day. Yeah. So somebody probably would have heard something. More likely, somebody just snatched this kid and off they mm -hmm. went. Um, but that's kind of the the sad ending to the story. It's the kid that everybody forgot to look for. Yeah. You know, that's what's real. I mean, the whole thing, This there's so much tragic in this story yeah i really appreciate you it, dropping it on you know, it's fucking is great someone you can feel sorry for except for old percy yeah percy you know <laughs> hell with him but everybody else really went through some bad times but the real tragedy is you know nobody even bothered to look for bobby i mean they did it first yeah but you know then when they didn't find him right away they dropped it because 
you know, a few months later, somebody says, oh, we think we found him in Mississippi. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I just, I don't know. I think that 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 it, the excitement of everything that happened just sort of got away from everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's like half the town is saying, you know, the town where this, the, the, the paint, the handyman lived. They had a parade. Yeah, well, yeah, and I prayed when he came home, but the town in Mississippi, half of them are thinking that he'd kidnapped this kid because they didn't pay any attention that that he was already living there. Oh, oh, you know, okay. like the oh, woman oh, who okay. said, "This kid was, you know, Bruce was sitting on my lap, and I'm <laughs> reading the newspaper about Bobby's disappearance." It's obviously not the same kid, and nobody believe it. They <sighs> all wanted that reward so bad, and they wanted the attention, and that was it's just fire. nuts, man. It's a crazy story. Did you um I, I don't I don't know if I missed it in in your outline. Um did they pinpoint like when on this trip he was he went missing? Like did, could no, it have been he no, fell I, off a boat or Yeah, I didn't I didn't find that. It's just that, you know, he was there and he just was gone. And so the minute they called the police and everybody was looking for him. I think it was just one of those you know, um, turn to look the other way. And the next thing you know, he's gone, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and so, so you know, it, it's, it's terrible. I mean, yes. it's terrible that this kid disappeared, but then, you know, I mean, man, <laughs> this poor kid. I know. I know. Um, what happened? <laughs> you know, we'll never know. We no. There's no way we'll ever know what happened to him. Yeah. Uh, so- at least it seems unlikely. Yeah. Although, you know, more and more stuff keeps popping up these days with these ancestry sites and stuff. Mm-hmm. Things keep coming up. So, yeah. I mean, you never know. I mean, it's become a whole science of its own. This, mm-hmm. um, uh, gosh, the, 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 what they've been calling it, this genetic sleuthing and stuff like that, yeah. you know, has really changed uh, everything. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to start finding more missing people and if not the missing people then at least relatives of missing people that we can start kind of piecing together stories of what happened i mean they did that i mean these family members did that in this story only to find out that none of them were actually related to you know uh so to the dunbars yeah you know because this kid was not bobby obviously wasn't bobby dunbar and i think he probably started to wonder about it himself which is the reason he was so estranged from everybody so I you know, so. he really didn't have anything to do with the rest of the family. And, you know, it was relatives, you know, and, you know, his descendants who were like, you know, let's, let's uh, take a look at this. You yeah. Know? And well, boy, yeah, what I, a mess. I, what a mess that must have been, too. I got, I got a couple. OK, I got a couple thoughts. One is, yeah, if you're in, like a distant relative of mine or something like that, like my DNA is out there. So it watch yourself too. if you've done something <laughs> fucking dumb. Yeah, right. Um, and I think that I. I was, at first, I was kind of like weird about that, and then I was like, I already voluntarily gave everybody everything anyway yeah, with like my data and stuff. And yeah. you know what? If maybe maybe it doesn't like uh, well, I guess it still solves them. But if it maybe it just starts giving people closure at least, yeah. you know, to like yeah, know exactly. That, well, that I mean, is it that what happened with that boy in the box story? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's what happened there. It was more of this DNA you know, research that people have done and they were able to finally find this kid's name and they know his parents and everything. Man, dude, that that was like 50, 60 years of not knowing anything. Yeah. You know, so and that's that all came down to, you know, ancestry or 23 and me or right. you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's a good. So I have another question about that then. So like if it's something like that, do you 
sit on it and just let it let it lie or do you potentially open up new wounds but possibly give closure to people like oh no i think you i think you need to i mean if that happens i think you're in a position where you're in control of that information mm -hmm. i think you need to put it out there yeah or at least you know um unless it's going to be something like you know you found out that your dad you know had like 10 other kids that you don't know about maybe just let that one ride we're not talking about a famous case of somebody missing you sure. know what i mean you're just talking about really fucking up your family <laughs> maybe maybe in some ways maybe it's best to keep that to yourself but i think every situation is going to be different yeah so, yeah we can't just know. have blanket rules for that i guess yeah, yeah. um i mean I, i've heard from cousins and third cousins and stuff like that and I don't know them, don't know anything about them. And mm -hmm. a couple of times I've kind of steered my, I steered my mom. Uh, somebody is asking all these questions about my, uh, my mom's father. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really, I'm not, I can't answer this stuff. I mean, that guy was, you know, he died when I was just a kid. So I, I mean, I vaguely remember him, you know? And so I'm telling my mom this and I'm going, do you want to deal with these people? And she said, not really. She said, the reason why is well, I should even probably be talking about this, but I'm not, I'm leaving all the names out, but yeah. it turned out that, that whoever that these people were, they were descended from my uh, grandfather's brother who okay. like had like gone off and didn't have anything to do with the family. Nobody talked about him. Nobody saw him for years. I don't know if he was like the black sheep or he was on the lamb or I, I don't know. I have no idea. But mom's like, I don't know anything about him because we were never allowed to talk about this guy. And so it's just, you know, weird stuff. So, right. yeah. So, yeah. So maybe that kind of stuff, you maybe keep it to yourself. But then you find out that, you know, you're some famous missing person and you're, you found out some relative of theirs or so maybe you might want to bring that up or, yeah. you know, like no, crime, no. you know, golden state killer kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. So. That, 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 and that's a great example of like how this stuff is amazing. Um, even though it's terrifying, but you know, maybe don't fucking mm -hmm. kill people. Um, yeah, there you go. That'd be a plus. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things I want to bring up that I definitely forgot about earlier, you're talking about the, uh, the Galena, conference and oh, the dates uh -huh. the, the 31st and um april 1st um one of my favorite things to do is anybody that i know that has a birthday on april 1st no matter who they are i always uh -huh. say that's appropriate because you're a fucking joke <laughs> oh, they, lovely yeah it's nice. so mean wow. um yeah i know and wow uh, yeah i just like <laughs> my birthday's on april 1st man i mean <laughs> okay um anyway yeah totally unnecessary but i had to do it um okay oh i also thought uh, i've always I don't know if this is weird. I've always dragging the lake when I found out what that meant. Like I always oh, thought yeah. that was a very interesting phrase. Yeah, a couple of different ways that's done too. Sometimes they oh, use yeah. big poles, but usually they'll use uh, like metal nets with hooks on them uh -huh. and drop them down in there and just drag and they just go back and forth like you would mowing your grass and drag the bottom of the lake. And you know, I mean, you never know what you're going to pull up. I mean, they've found all kinds of things doing that in different situations over the years. Sure. About old cars and, you know, and, but yeah, unfortunately often bodies as well. And yeah. when they're looking for them, that's great. When they're not looking for them. I mean, I can remember, um, uh, when I used to live in Decatur, I remember, <laughs> and I think I was still living there at the time that they were looking for something else and found a car at the bottom of the lake had someone in it. Wow. They, they thought the person had like just disappeared, had driven away and disappeared. It turned out they were at the bottom of the lake. 
Wow. Now, maybe it had been like 25 years before. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories like that. So, yeah, it's crazy stuff. That is crazy. Um, okay, I'm going to try to jump us back into here. Um, <laughs> so, oh, oh yeah. So, okay, so another thing we were talking about is um, – Said uh, no one really knew uh, knows how the reunion of um, the family and son went down. There are a couple yeah, stories, and they yeah. finally got together. Because there were several different newspaper stories, and it all just depended on the spin the reporter put on it. Right. Uh, so we don't really know what happened. Um, yeah. You know, some some people said that he was scared. Some people said he ran right to her. It doesn't matter. What we know now is that it was not their kid. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And and I don't think that she thought he was either. I think her husband made her say that because this Percy guy must have been a, a piece of work prize, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And well, yeah, I was, was thinking about it too. And it's, it's just like, it, it's a kid. You, you put whatever yeah. narrative you want in their head. It's not real yeah. memories, you know? Well, and they, that's they, the thing. That's what happened to him too is, yeah. you know, after a while he just starts believing everything they tell him. He was five. Of course he does. Right. You know? Yeah, and so so uh, you you kind of touched on this a little bit, but you said people basically kept talking shit because they wanted that reward money, even mm -hmm. though they didn't know it expired. But so, so yeah. does no does no one read the fine print? Uh, like, apparently not, because he never paid it. So yes. like I said, this guy's a tool. Yeah, um, he never paid the reward, and you know, and 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 knew this wasn't his kid. He had to know. When you when you put up when people put up reward money and stuff like that, do they have to? Present it some before. They I don't. I don't know how that works. I, I yeah, I really either. don't know. I mean, I know when it's like a government entity that you know um, the money is there. But whenever you know, say, uh, family and friends are offering a thousand dollar reward for information, I don't know how that works. I really yeah. don't. Um, huh. I know that a lot of times people will just donate to a fund that mm -hmm. somebody controls at, say, the sheriff's department or somewhere or something, you know, in different different stories I've worked on. You'll always hear about people donating and up in the amount of the reward. Um, but I don't know how that all works. So yeah, I've I, never never been in a position to collect one. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I've offered some, but nobody ever brings my kids back. Um, so yeah, Ju Julia Anderson shows up like what? Could this I have know. been like for her? Oh, I know. I know. Well, and you know, this, and she was treated so horribly. She was just a young girl who, you know, I mean, she we came from the still rural happens south, now. Yeah, we see it. It's in the 1920s. I mean, give her a break. Um, so, you know, they treated her horribly and, you know, made her look bad in the newspapers. And they always had to make sure that they, everybody knew that, that she didn't know who the father was, but it was probably Walter's brother mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, William Walter's brother. And, you know, but nobody really knew. And she didn't know who were the other, the father of her other kid. was. And they had to always make sure they brought that up because they wanted to make her and William look as bad as possible mm -hmm. because the, you know, the, the press had already sided uh, with the Dunbars and, and because they were feeding them great stories. Right. So why not? You know, yeah. so they side with the Dunbars and then you take the people who are the ones who really got hurt here. And I mean, this woman, you know, yes, she left her. Yes. She put one kid up for adoption, but she kept the other one and left him there with William, who was his uncle. Mm -hmm. And was taking care of him and had been for a while. He was the only father this kid really knew. I um, mean, probably barely knew Julia because she took off when he was so young. But, you know, she came back and tried to write, you know, fix things the, that she'd done. And uh, instead, you know, she's accused of being part of a kidnapping plot and all kinds of stuff. I mean, these these people really 
got screwed out of this. Mm -hmm. They really did. And, um, and she never really, we don't know if she ever even saw that kid again. I mean, she Um, saw him once and identified him, but you know, there's, there's that thought that perhaps that he did meet her later on in life because she lived right next door to that lawyer that he went to see and was married to the lawyer's brother. So there's a good chance they did finally meet. I like to think they did. Um, but you know, there's no record they ever had a relationship or anything, but why, why would there be though? Because by that time they're private citizens leading private lives and all this stuff didn't get reported in the paper. So I'm hoping that things did kind of work out in the end, but I mean, William really got the rail, you know, he got convicted and sent to prison and, and ended up getting sick and dying from the time he spent prison for doing nothing, but being a decent guy. And out on a technicality, brother's kid, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and so it, it's interesting to me too, like working in uh, digital media and stuff to see that while the technology and um, distribution networks change, the premise doesn't, it's always what's going to get us the most clicks. Uh-huh. Or, you sure. know, and, oh, absolutely. And, you know, man. fuck anybody we have yeah. to like, and we're going to exactly. just try and- Yeah. Not, not much has changed. It really hasn't. It's just a different form of media. Now you're yeah. absolutely right. And I'm guessing, um, the more sensational, also, the better. And the, so. this hasn't really changed. Uh, I mean, we've made progress, but it hasn't changed so much, but I'm, uh, I'm interpreting what you're talking about is it's just, a. um, her being promiscuous was kind of uh-huh. the angle to lead into right, to make right. her yeah, like it's an, incredible. You know, it's not even the twenties; it's the teens. And at that point, that was just—I mean, you know—the nineteen twenties was a bit of a sexual revolution for women, especially. But they ended up getting the vote, and you know, the dresses got shorter, and they were allowed to smoke and drink in public, and that kind of things. But this is nineteen twelve, so and even earlier than that, you know, she's got kids with you know guy she doesn't know which guy it is and you know big deal but in those days jesus mm-hmm. you know that was something else and so they did everything they could to make her look as bad as possible mm-hmm. they really did so. and and meanwhile like the guys just like oh yeah you fucked a bunch of people it doesn't matter we don't care like yeah 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 but, but you said you did say public opinion eventually starts to turn against the Dunbars, but like, does it matter at that point? No, it doesn't matter at that point. Well, it, it, the only thing about it that mattered is that Percy was still trying to ride off the coattails of this story. Oh, you know, no, he right. even tried to turn it into you know a political campaign, but that never would have gotten very far because this guy really was a louse. I mean, you know, eventually they split up over all his many affairs that he was having, but probably while he was out running this kid to theaters and putting him on stage, you know, and so yeah. he could show off his, the, the, you know, the great horrible, you know, things he'd been through, which yeah. was literally nothing. He's so. killing two birds with one star, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so I wanted to ask you one of the last things about this story, then um, 1999, uh, granddaughter, Margaret Dunbar, Kurt Wright, cut right. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't tell if it autocorrected or not, which starts investigating. Um, did, was there uh any, was there a video documentary, anything about no, this? No, I, I've never seen anything like that. Um, if there is one, I'm not, I'm not aware of it. Uh, okay. But she had um, tried to uh, – there is a great book called The Case for Bobby Dunbar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember the author's name off the top of my head, but that's I know that's the title. 
uh, but it, it talks about this a little bit too, is she started doing her research that, you know, uh, as far as like genealogy research and things and look it into the newspapers and things. This was pre DNA before you could, sure. well, I mean, there was DNA, but you couldn't test it yourself back then. It wasn't like now. And um, she became convinced that her grandfather was not Bobby Dunbar and that he, he really was Bruce. And this like really tore apart the family apparently. Uh, people were really angry that she'd done this and that, you know, they accused her. They said, you know, that's it. That's not going to prove anything. You just, you know, why would you want to do this? Why would you want to dig all this up? And then, of course, you know, when uh, the mid 2000s and their DNA tests could be done to check to see who was who. And, you know, you had Robert Dunbar Jr. And then you had. Uh, a cousin who was the son of Alonzo, who was Bobby's brother, mm -hmm. and they weren't even related, not yeah. related at all. So obviously this kid was Bruce Anderson and it had been all along. Yeah. And, you know, which, like I said, I, I have a feeling that he suspected something or he sure. wouldn't have been so estranged from the family. And well, for whatever reason, old Perry apparently got tired of playing the game, too, because uh, he wrote Bobby out of his will and gave everything mm -hmm. to his brother. So obviously mom knew it, dad knew it, everybody knew it, but nobody wanted to admit it. So, well, it's, it, okay, it's interesting the way you have, you phrase it this way twice. You keep saying that um, he was probably aware of it and that's why he was estranged. I would figure he was pushed out because the parents and the family knew it. Yeah. And that makes sense too. You know, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah. Maybe yeah, for all we know, he never knew. I mean, he really didn't know for sure until it was too late, which I mean, makes it, it even worse. Yeah, I mean, can you fucked imagine up his brain you can't understand kid. why your parents don't like you anymore? And when they suddenly just decided that we can't believe we did this and now you're, you know, persona non grata in the family. Yeah, I can imagine out that. Of the will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I really can't. Um, but I, I, ser I, I search for this, though. Um, everything that comes up, though, says case for Solomon, Bobby Dunbar and the kidnapping. Yeah, yeah, that's the name. Well, it's talking about the Bible story and Solomon and the dividing of the baby and all that stuff. And what do you do? So, yeah, that's the book, though. Yeah, that is the book. I forgot about the main title. All I remembered was the case of Bobby Dunbar. So. I was like, did I? Yeah, I've got, I've got that book and it was a it was a great read. Um, so it's really interesting to see where it all goes uh, much more in depth than what we did for the podcast. But I really just I really like this story. And uh, I guess the reason I wanted to include it, it's not your traditional missing person story like most of ours are and will be. But I guess I the thing about it that got me is like you brought up at the very beginning. Nobody thought to look for Bobby. So, I mean, he went missing and no one ever found him because they stopped looking. And that's, you know, I, we'll probably never know what happened. I mean, maybe we will. Who knows? But um, at this point, you know, the only thing you can leave it at is, is that Bobby Dunbar was never seen again, you know. So. And, and, and also there was no um, uh, credence or any reason to follow up with that pedophile serial killer guy. Like, you don't think oh, that's Oh, from the actually... beginning? Yeah, yeah. You mean about Walter Collins? Oh, sorry. Um, sorry. I've got to Oh, no. Yeah, that was a different story. You oh, okay. may want to cut that part out. Everybody will think you were asleep. So. Oh, my gosh. I'm I think I'm so stupid. Um, no, the, the book, though, is by Margaret Dunbar, Dunbar Cutright. Yeah. Ty yeah. McPhenia. Yeah, it was a good book. Um, okay. Well, uh, thanks Troy for dropping that shit on me. I didn't need that. Um, with all this, this tragedy and stuff and this terrible stuff. I don't get, why did I sign up for every two weeks just to be more sad and more sad? And I don't more know, sad? man. <sighs> you know, I, I think I need to do some, um, 
self um, introspection. I don't know. I know we go to therapy, um, but. Um, yeah, uh, I want to give a quick shout out, though, to our newest uh, subscribers on Patreon. So thank you so much for supporting the show to uh, Robin, M. Howe, Jessica and Dawn. So thank you so much for supporting the show. Um, we're going to be, uh, you know, keeping on with the different Patreon series. We're about to wrap up. Yeah, we're almost done with uh, season two. Uh, yeah. Of that. So, yeah, it is, and Troy's got one another more one episode to go. And then we're already cooking for. Uh, season three of it. So as I said at the very beginning, you know, you haven't heard it all unless you yeah. listen to those two. So um, it is now time for our ghostwriter segment. If you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre, you can email us at American Hauntings Podcast at gmail.com. And I'm actually going to do two things here. Um, and actually, I have two as well. Oh, boy. I like I know. This. They're not long, but I do have two that, that are definitely worthy of mention. So you want to go first? No, go ahead. Okay. Um, so the first one is from Meg, who's uh, a fan of ours from Australia, and she's actually coming up to go to New Orleans. And um, we get this a lot where people say, like, hey, what should we do? What's going on? And usually Troy oh, and I are like, fucking just listen to this season. But she's, <laughs> she sent an email with a lot of details and, like, questions and stuff. And I just saw it not too long before I started putting this together. So I want to just let her know I'm going to go through your email and I'm, we're going to, I'm going to give you some notes and we're going to figure oh, this out cool. because she's coming all the way from Australia. Well, yeah, right. No kidding. And yeah. We yeah. Can help. Like Meg, I'm going to go through all your notes. And just, I'm I just, one of the reasons I'm doing this is because of course you're from Australia, but also you put in the time and research and like went through stuff and you didn't yeah. just say like, what should I do? Yeah. Like, yeah. We made all these episodes. Um, <laughs> but this, this other one is from uh, Heidi and she says, hello, Troy and Cody. Love the podcast. Every season has been fascinating. I am always amazed with the different stories, even ones I thought I knew. Most recently, the Mary Celeste, which I've been obsessed with ever since I saw the In Search Of and Unsolved Mystery segments ages ago. At, at, at any rate, one of the reasons I'm writing in is on a recent episode. I think it was the episode of Charlie Ross kidnapping. So the two of you mentioned a story about a woman who hit her husband in the back of the head with a chicken. Then you went on about how it would be the perfect murder, ETC. I point you two in the direction of a short story written by Roald Dahl called mm -hmm. Lamb to the, Lamb to the slaughter yeah about a woman who does just that it's delightfully evil story thanks again for the podcast looking forward to my future episodes uh, have a great day he's my favorite author in the entire world he got me oh, into yeah. reading i've never yeah, heard like, of this i, I like also love, too. i also yeah. love the phrase label of slaughter so, but you're familiar with it yeah i know that story in fact um uh, there was a discussion okay i'm not going to name any names here but i was in high school and uh -huh. there was a discussion about this story in English class about Land of the Slaughter as to whether or not it was a premeditated murder or if it was just simply a crime of passion that uh -huh. became a, a genius murder because she feeds the lamb, the leg of lamb, spoiler alert, feeds the, to a story that's 70 years old. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, feeds the lamb to the detective that comes to investigate. Oh, uh, but it became so heated because I took the side that it was not premeditated, that it just happened, and then she quickly came up with a plan. Um, uh -huh. It got so heated that the teacher dragged me by the arm out into the hallway, slammed me against the wall, and was pounding me on the chest with his finger, trying to get his point across, and I refused to back down. I take Damn. my English class very seriously. Yeah. I anyway, Should have so. been a lawyer. Hey, you know what? <laughs> off, off air, you give me this guy's name. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I don't even think he's alive, so. 
Um, yeah, but I, I did find, I was, I was, I was looking and I was like, can I just like buy this book? And anything I found was just like, here's a short Google doc of it for free. And so I didn't get to read it yet though, but I'm going to check it out. Danny, the champion of the world, I think was like one of the first books I ever read by him. Mm -hmm. And it it made me fall in love with reading. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, Heidi, for, for writing in Troy, what do you got? I'm intrigued. Okay. So I've got a, uh, I've got a message from, uh, Melissa who wrote in because she had something that I wished that I would have. And as I told her, I wish that I would have continued on in this line of thinking in the story, and maybe I would have come to the same conclusion. But she really kind of um, wrapped something together that I thought worked. She said, I love your podcast. I have a theory on Dorothy Arnold on that that disappearance. Uh, She said, I agree with you that she needed money for an abortion. Could it be she was counting on getting paid from the story she submitted? And when it was declined, she took what service she could afford. Just a thought. And that's a great idea. That's a great thought yeah. because yeah. it totally makes sense. It really yeah. fits with the story. Um, yeah. And so that that really that's a really made sense to me. So I thought I would share that to everybody um, so that they could, you know, put that in there, you know, in their their thought line there and see if they come up with the same kind of thought we did. So can I, can uh, I chime in on yeah. that real quick? Yeah. Um, I, I love that because I actually, I was listening to that episode the other day, because every now and then I'm like, just want to like double check audio and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And, um, in the beginning I asked you, I was like, kind of like, why did you give like a explicit content warning or whatever? And you were like, eventually you said, you know, because uh, there's a lot of talk of like abortion and things like that. And I was like, I'm so glad you did that. Cause I hadn't really like thought of that. And so I love when people chime in from an angle that like, I'm just not even thinking mm-hmm. about, oh, yeah. you know, no, no, or, I know me too. Me too. Yes, and, that's, you know, that's I, I, and I kept writing about the story and the short story and how upset she was about it. And, you know, then she couldn't afford an abortion. She kept having to hide the money. She was pawning her jewelry and stuff. And for whatever reason, it just didn't click through with me. Sure. Of course, that makes total sense. You yeah. know, but yeah. whatever. So, yeah, I love <laughs> so that. So I was people- glad that glad Melissa sent that. So I have one more. This yeah. is from Jonathan. And he said, hey, Troy, about three years ago, I went to the old Williamson funeral home as part of one of your American hauntings tours and met a lady who had become a great friend. I just want you to know that we just recorded the fourth episode of our OPE. It's OPE. Is that how you say that? OPE. Isn't that a OPE? ghost podcast, which comes out every two weeks about our experiences at the funeral home and credited the Haunted Jacksonville book in the podcast and promoted you in American Hauntings. Uh, uh-huh. We will also put a link in the show notes. We mentioned that there were available spots for the June event. Lastly, we thanked you at American Hauntings because had we not gone, we might never have made our own podcast and made new friends. So thanks. Uh, And by the way, our podcast is doing well. We think it's doing pretty good. And I hope that anyone who might have listened finds their way to American Hauntings. The episode will come out around mid-April. And for the record, Heaven and I have been to four American Hauntings ghost hunts and will attend our fifth on the 25th at Hamilton Primary School. So thanks again. So, and I wanted to mention that too. I got that message from him and I thought that was really nice. And um, glad that we uh, were able to, you know, connect some people. <laughs> That's amazing. Did you say it was Opa Ghost? Is that? No, it, it, it's O-P-E, Ope. A That's ghost a- podcast. I think that might be the, like, comma, a ghost podcast. Okay, I'm, so I'm looking for it now because I definitely want to like plug it. And one thing I want to say is like that is amazing. So happy about that too. I'm so sorry if we convinced you to start a podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, um, it. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Heaven Johnson. So yeah. O P E comma a ghost is what I'm. Is what I'm yeah. finding. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Check that out. I'm definitely gonna check that out. Um. It's also just really nice when like 
not not for me so much, but when people actually credit you for stuff. Oh, <laughs> I, I always appreciate that. Oh, I listened to a thing nice. you, you were on the other day. Cancel this podcast, but they yeah, do yeah, Paranormal yeah. Fridays. So, yes, yeah, yes. that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. It was a lot going on to keep track of all at once. There were a lot of people like four on Four people on there. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody had their own little screen. And so it was hard to keep track of everything, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And um, some of them uh, apparently from the St. Louis area because they kept bringing up things from St. Louis and Missouri and things right. too. So they were yeah, familiar no. with a lot of the stuff that we do. Yeah, no, you did a great job. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for reaching out. And I, I'm going to check out this podcast and see like – how you're doing and like that's just yeah. it's, it's cool to see people start stuff and so right. well i, I guess we done. should probably wrap this up so um hey thanks everybody for listening um as we always ask you share this with your friends share it with your neighbors whoever leave us a review on itunes um don't forget if you're shopping with american hauntings use the podcast code uh which is just podcast uh when you're at americanhauntings.net and you're paying for anything always use that discount if you can um, and remember also check us out on Patreon. I know we've already talked about it a little bit earlier, but uh, we're just about to finish our second full season of a, a completely different podcast from this one. And uh, we only do that on Patreon. We put up new episodes every other week. Uh, we're going to finish um, this one and then we'll be starting on another one in just a couple more weeks after that. So uh, it's patreon.com slash American hauntings. Check that out. So absolutely. Yeah, and you can uh, you can also use that uh, podcast discount code at uh, American Hauntings Clothing. Oh uh, yeah, I, yeah, right. I finally took after Troy, and I was like, yeah, of yeah. course. Why, why yeah, we'll put it in there. So we're, we're Cody's working on some new designs for that too. So yes. we should have some fun things ready to go up here pretty yeah. quick. So. I, and I honestly like uh, I think I think I'm gonna just start tossing out a lot of ideas there to see. Like, yeah, like, like why see not? People, you know, yeah, what they're interested in. So yeah. it should be fun. Yeah, so it should be it should be good stuff. Um, okay, cool. Well, this episode of the American Hauntings podcast was written by Troy Taylor and it was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Tell your friends, neighbors, random people on the street about it. Follow us up on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. See the website at AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com for more info about the show, notes, photos, links, and more to Justin Timberlake songs. You can also <laughs> find – oh, am I going to get in trouble for putting an NSYNC song in there? Um, no, because it's less than 30. 30 seconds. Oh, okay, yeah, they were yeah, fine. It was less than 30 seconds. Never mind. Fine. Yeah, all right, back off and yeah. sing. Um, yeah, find us on Facebook, <laughs> yeah, Twitter, Instagram. So you can delete those messages they sent you. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. TikTok, uh, anywhere else you waste hours every day. You still doing the TikTok stuff? Um, I haven't done anything lately, but yes, I'll, I'll have something else sometime soon, I guess. So okay, cool. And we, people we keep was... popping up on there and following me, and I'm like, okay, well, now I got to do stuff. Right. So. Well, but you made your There'll bed. be more. There will be more. And we, we've started to do a little video tease stuff. So I'm still trying to kind of figure yeah, out how yeah, that we'll works. But some uh, of that figured out. We'll put it on there, too. Yeah. So check us out. Uh, we promise that we're much more entertaining. Thanks for listening. We couldn't and definitely wouldn't do it without you. So until next time, goodbye. So long. And see you later. See you later. All right. We'll have to listen to that whole conversation. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.